name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. I'm sitting here with uh, Bob Ford. I really appreciate you coming back on, Mr. Ford. Good to see you. Likewise. Since the last time we talked, you've had at least one, possibly two, books come out. You had the cookbook come out not that long ago. Tell me a little bit about that one. Uh, <clears throat> the cookbook was uh, all rabbit recipes because yeah. I got... I got tired of eating fried rabbit all the time. Uh, you know, when I would go to, you know, wild game suppers, that was <clears throat> the one way that they served it. So, you know, I, over the years found lots of ways to eat rabbits. Um, right. so I just threw, I threw 20 of them together in a book and introduced each one of them with a little bit of a humor. Uh, you okay. know, but, and you know, that was, you know, that's a very seasonal sort of selling book. I sell them during rabbit season, right after rabbit season. And uh, I sell them at Wild Game fundraisers where I might be invited as a guest speaker and I'll sell books there. But, you know, okay. it doesn't move yeah. as many as the other books. But, yeah, it's there. And then after that one, I don't know if I was here since Bramble Rambles would have been the next book out. And that yeah. is all faith-based, just, you know, my day job is as a pastor. And, you know, that book is all, uh, you know, things that I think about while I'm out training dogs during the year or maybe while I'm rabbit hunting. But I run dogs year round and just, sure. uh, you know, little essays that uh, deal with you know, thoughts of faith and, uh, you know, you know, maybe questions that we all have. And then, uh, that was, that would have been after the cookbook. And then here it's out now. I got some copies ordered. I should have them here in a couple of weeks. I have a follow up to that, uh, called Bramble Rambles Christmas, yep, which yep, my yep. publisher shortened to Brambleness. And Bramble. it's a similar idea, but it's all Advent, it's all Christmas and Epiphany and, you know, childhood memories of, you know, uh, you know, maybe things that aren't as common to, you know, everyone in the country. I, you know, talk about uh, the bell snickle in there, which I thought every kid knew about bell snickle growing up and a lot of people didn't, you know, kind of. You know, Santa's a good cop, Bell Snickle's a bad cop. And then okay. here in the last few years, I had a buddy of mine say, yeah, people know about Bell Snickle now because of that TV show, The Office, which I never saw The Office. But no. Then again, I don't get Dilbert comic strips either, so I'm not a real good guy <laughs> about living in the cubicles. But... No, not at, so not that's the last book out. So, so, you know, that book's just now coming out. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, cool. The, um, yeah, I guess I'll start with, let's start with the first one. Let's start with, um, the, uh, the cookbook. Are those all mm -hmm. recipes that you've had all of these years or did you have to, did you 
did you have people contributing recipes to the to the book or was it just kind of the accumulated knowledge over a lifetime of yeah, googling? Just stuff that I found that works for me over the years and uh, mm. and you know I didn't put fried rabbit in there which I thought I should have because everybody does it I thought ah, I won't do that but I have enough recipes for another probably collection of 20 but uh, I've just been too lazy to uh, assemble that book. <laughs> well, I mean, we, it's been a year since we've talked and you've had three books come out. So, uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound lazy to me. I've, I've been on this earth for almost 40 years and I've had exactly zero books come out. So, Oh, well, writing recipes is the most boring thing in the world. I can't stand it, you know, and, and it's, <laughs> I remember one of the editors I was assigned I had to go back and change the recipes because I would use such technical terms as a heavy dusting of black pepper. And I, okay. had, to, <laughs> I had to define what that meant. And I'm like, hell, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, exactly. So I had to go it's... back and measure some of these things out. Okay, how much is a heavy dusting and stuff like this? Right, so, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I totally get that. I, I tend to cook sort of yeah, shooting from the hip a little bit and I'll I'll cook after taste, which means that none of my meals end up tasting exactly like they did the last time. Um and it drives my it drives my mother in law, poor poor gal, just crazy because she wants the recipes and I want to give them to her. And I try I try, but it just it doesn't end up being the same because I'm not there to sort of taste, test, and adjust as it goes. Right. So I feel a little bad about that, but yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. It's like a, a dash, you know, we've got a, there's a saying in Norwegian, uh, son passa, which means it translates to about, uh, what would, yeah, the, the right amount, like how much, right how much pepper should I have the right amount? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so I, I totally get that. Are those recipes that you can use, uh, are they specific to cottontail or do they work pretty well for some of the bigger, like swamp rabbits, hares, things like that? They work for anything. You could probably substitute some of the recipes use ground meat. You could probably use anything for those, you know, like, you know, I, I originally developed the bratwurst that's in there, um, mm. for snowshoe hare, um, because they can be a little gamier. Um, but yeah, they can, you know, one is, uh, is a scotch egg recipe, um, mm. that I came up with, um, you know, of course, scotch eggs are, you know, uh, soft boiled egg covered in sausage and then fried. Mm -hmm. And usually it's a pork sausage when people make it. And at one point, and we still get milk delivered every week, we still get milk delivered and That's cool. We cut off the dozen eggs. We're getting a dozen eggs a week. And I'm like, we're not keeping up with these. <laughs> and so I thought, well, how am I going to? So instead of scotch eggs, I had hot scotch eggs and mm -hmm. uh, the hot meeting <laughs> rabbit. And I ground the rabbit meat up. And of course, rabbit's very lean. So sure. to make it stick to the egg, I had to add egg. So I think it was like, you know, to make four or five scotch eggs, I could use up a dozen eggs that were sitting in the fridge. <laughs> really? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's really cool. I'm I'm looking forward. I really want to try that recipe and I really want to try the bratwurst recipe. Um, 
we I can travel south and get into some like the, the sort of European equivalent of cottontails. They may actually be just cottontails. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, and then we can get into something that they call the southern southern rabbit, which is like a German, a bigger German wild rabbit that's migrated up here. But what I've got around me and just like flocks is the mountain, the European mountain hare. Okay. Which are like this. They look exactly like snowshoes to my eyes. I didn't, it took, it was years before I even knew that they weren't snowshoes. Um, and I've not ever really hunted them specifically, but now I've got a, the beagle I've got, he, I started him on roe deer and he's done great with that, but our roe deer population collapsed completely here. Uh, not in Norway, but just in my area, we had a, or we have a bunch of lynx that have moved in and they've wiped out, um, our roe deer population that coupled with a very, very long and very bad winter and a very bad summer, um, means that, you know, I, I can't buy a roe deer right now, you know, but, um, hair I've got a bunch of, so he's, he's transitioned to hair now. So I'm really excited to try. It's, um, I'm really excited to try some of those recipes because yeah, there's, there's plenty of hair around here. Nice. But you've done some hair hunting as well with, with your guys, like you, how far, how far away do you need to go to get into hair country? To run them. Uh, regularly, I only have to go, you know, an hour, uh, okay. where I grew up as a kid, where I grew up as a kid in Pennsylvania, I was at the Southern edge of snowshoe hare territory. And, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, uh, when it wasn't the quiet season, you know, back then in Pennsylvania, you couldn't train dogs of any kind in the summer, uh, for a couple of months there, but I could, hmm. I could walk up the hill behind my house with my dogs on a leash and I could get into enough hair to more often than not get a chase. Um, And back then it was a one week season after Christmas. It was always the day after Christmas, the season started December 26. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was a week long season, not counting Sundays. You were allowed two hair per day. Uh, now in Pennsylvania, you're only allowed one per day for that one week period. <clears throat> um, and it, it's on the table with the game commission. They want to discuss maybe what to do with the snowshoe hare population. Of course, they Is also want to reintroduce. No, it's actually the opposite. It's, you know, anymore you get entire hare seasons from Pennsylvania where there's no snow on the ground. Mm. So you got snow white hair mm. squatted thinking they're invisible. Uh, they've reintroduced the fisher uh, into their territory. And now they're talking about reintroducing the pine marten to the same territory. Um, Are and, these people, uh, did these people get bitten as a child by a rabbit? Like what's, what's, <laughs> what's their, what's their problem? Like that, that seems that seems I, I, malicious intent, no, almost. I I think, you know, there's a mindset with some wildlife biologists and maybe our game commission uh, that we need these historic sort of apex predators that used to once exist and are no longer here 
Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I mean, that that's uh, a good question. And, you know, of course, there, a lot of people are opposed to both the Fisher, which is already reintroduced, and now potentially the Pine Martin. But So I grew up running. In fact, when I was a kid, there were places Dad and I would hunt cottontails that were farms or adjacent to farms where you had to be careful in the early cottontail season to make sure you weren't shooting a snowshoe hare because it hadn't okay. changed colors yet. Okay. Yep. And so yep. you yep. had to be careful because it was still brown and we'd have to be careful, but I don't shoot too many hair in Pennsylvania anymore. Um, you know, I go to New York, Maine, I've been to mm -hmm. New Hampshire, Vermont. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That, that's interesting. I'm sorry to hear that that's happening. The, the reintroduction of, of some of the apex predators or even not even, not even the apex predators, just predators. They're not even general, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that's an unfortunate thing, you know, especially when you've got, you know, I can kind of see, I can see it in places where, you know, where, where they've got like, for example, white tailed deer populations that are so high, you know, in some of these urban areas, like not, actively removing coyotes and things like that. I, I could see the argument possibly, yeah. you know, not really, but kind of, you know, I, I would be able to understand that more, but you know, from a, you know, we don't have fishers here, but we've got the pine Martin and they're fun to run. I mean, I run them with my hounds and you know, they're the, one of the few game species here, that tree lynx will occasionally do it, but the bear don't do it and the Fox don't do it. So it's kind of fun, you know, when, when they tree, I know they most likely have a pine marten. Um, but it's, there's not so many of them and they've never been out eradicated here. So mm -hmm. it's like, it makes sense that they're here. I, I would be hesitant to, yeah, get on board with them reintroducing, yeah. And of course, the coyote cats. has been tough enough. The coyote's been tough enough here. You know, it's hmm. it's you know classified. They call it the eastern coyote. And you know, I remember the game commission had a oh, they give you a rule book for every year you get your hunting license. Anything that changed in terms of you know what you're allowed to hunt with, and hmm. in terms of weapons and seasons, and they had a big center. Uh, bold article one year about the coyote and uh, you know, the percentage of wolf DNA. So what happened right. here was the coyotes migrated back East around the great lakes. They interbred with the, you know, wolves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a certain, so, you know, our coyotes are bigger, faster, stronger. Yep. Know? 40. <laughs> I, I read that article 40% bigger than the, uh, the coyotes you find to the West of the Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's been, that was interesting. You know, I grew up in Maine and I was, you know, I was kind of there when the, the coyotes started to really come back in, in force and mm -hmm. sort of that tail end of that transition from coyote to, you know, bush wolf, basically. I mean, they're mm -hmm. where you got those big packs and they were, I mean, they were crazy you know, they came, they came chasing dogs right into the yard. You know, they were, they were, 
they're 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 an interesting animal. We don't have them over here, but one of the things we do have over here that looks identical to me, like it's so hard for me to see the difference, is um, golden jackals. And they're just starting to make it over into Norway. And it's not, they were not seen outside of Africa until 10 years ago. And in the last 10 years, they've made it all the way from Africa to Northern Norway, um, which is apparently the biggest uh, habitat expansion by a mammal, by a land mammal that has ever been documented. Yeah, that's not at all similar uh, climate. No, it's not. And that <laughs> they were able to adjust is just, yeah, testament to canine's ability to adjust, I suppose. But, but yeah, no, that's, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that, that they're, that they're doing that. Is that, are you seeing any effects, uh, of that in the areas where they have released, um, the fishers? Is that, is, is that making it a little bit more difficult to get a run going or anything like that with the beagles? Yeah, I, I think there are, you know, uh, and I see them at our beagle clubs, you know, a lot of uh, places around here have clubs where we maintain grounds for rabbits and, it's you know, and, you know, I can't say fisher per se, because anytime you maintain an artificially high population of rabbits, every predator comes, you know, right. it's like, you know, your Chick-fil-A on saturday at lunchtime and you know in comes the traffic and we get all the predators in bigger numbers um but that's where i first saw fisher was leaving the beagle club at night and you saw something real dark and shadowy crossing the road in front of you like a giant weasel um, right. that's the first time i saw one but um yeah i think there are places and i I worry in particular where they put them up in the Allegheny National Forest where the snowshoe hare are. You know, you see video of these things running down a squirrel in a tree or something. And, uh, oh, yeah. That, and I sometimes wonder if that's not also, uh, you know, part of the problem with the rough grouse, which I know they like to say could be some mosquito-borne disease or maybe West Nile or something. But, I mean... A grouse sleeping in a limb at night, you know, might be a pretty easy meal for a fisher. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they think that that is, uh, we have historic low uh, populations of the ptarmigan here. Mm -hmm. um, and they think that is because of, uh, they, they've done some research and, and set up some cameras at, at nests and things like that and have found that... Um, yeah, martins and um, the pine martin and the fox are uh, two of the bigger contributors to the collapse in the population. I mean, certainly overhunting to a degree, but mm -hmm. you know, it was a that was not as big of a problem um, until suddenly you know you got both of the things happening at the same time: the overhunting and then the fox. And now the population is so low. That even though like they canceled the hunt, the you know they canceled the season this year um, for ptarmigan in this area, and it hasn't helped. Yeah, they're so low, yeah. and there's so many fox because nobody's hunting fox anymore. I'm the only guy, you know. There's a couple of guys that do it over bait, but I'm the only guy in this particular area that runs them with hounds. Um, and it used to be that everybody did that. It was part of part of what they. It was just part of what they did. If you saw one moose hunting, you shot it. Like it was just, it was, 
you know, everybody was farmers and nobody wanted them around and not necessarily better, you know, not, it's not necessarily better, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's now there's an imbalance that we've created ourselves. Right. Right. But I'm skeptical I, that yeah, the solution is to bring in more. <laughs> to bring in more. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not a biologist and I've never even played one on TV. Um, but <laughs> I can't think that if you want a whole diverse group of predators, you also got to think, do we still have the habitat hmm. that used to exist when all those, in, you know, native indigenous predators were here? Or do we have way too many highways, way too many shopping malls, way too many parking lots to really, you know, reproduce the type of, uh, you know, territory and habitat that once supported all the predators and all the prey? You know, do right. we still have that? Right. That's a that's a good question. Now, I don't know the answer. Well, we kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> tends to happen on this podcast. <clears throat> Or a predator hole. Yeah. A predator hole. That's right. That's right. So how, um, I remember one of the things I, I appreciated about talking to you the last time and I appreciate about fall, you know, the, you know, is that you've, you're more or less able to tr- trace your pack back to some of the original dogs and you don't have 15, 20 dogs going through your place every year. You've got a set group mm-hmm. that you work with from, you know, dawn until dusk in a sort of cosmic sense. Yeah. Um, how's, how are everybody doing now? How are, how's your pack? I'm down to five. I lost Duke here oh, a few months ago. He was, 13. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Sorry but, to hear. Yep. Everybody else is doing well. And, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, or I got, you know, one other older dog and, you know, otherwise I got, you know, some youth. So good. Doing, doing well. Who's your youngest dog at this point? Stormy. Okay. Yep. And who is, how old is she? He? Two. Two. She. Yep. She's two. Cool. Is she yep. out of your stuff or is she um, uh, yep. brought in from somewhere she's, else? She's out of my... My Blitz dog, as as well as my buddy Jason's uh, dog Jenny Lee, okay, is the father or is uh, the dam is Jenny. Okay, cool, cool. Do you? Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, was, uh, you know, maybe it's like you said, there's not as much snow as there used to be in Pennsylvania, but um, we're at a point here where we got an unseasonably early, um, or un- a usually early snowfall that's stuck. So we got about three feet of snow that com- compromised, you know, com- compacted to about two and a little bit feet of snow, but enough, it didn't get real hard. So I think I sent you a picture of the beagle up to yeah. his, up over his head <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in snow. Yeah. Do you have uh, how do you deal with that? with snow conditions when they get that deep. Are you out at all then, or are you kind of backing off a little bit? Um, yeah, I, 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 I've been out in that. And, um, and what tends to, you know, a deep powder 
like that is tougher or a slush. Was that a slush or a powder you were on there that day? A powder. Yeah, that was yesterday. Yeah. It was a powder. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, that's tough. Uh, of course, I, you know, will wear snowshoes. Uh, and then I've had, I've always had for the last 20 years anyway, one dog that has learned to use their eyes while chasing. Mm-hmm. And you would think every dog would learn that, but if a rabbit is leaving tracks in the snow, there's no way it's getting away. And, okay. uh, and I, you know, I, it was probably, probably Rebel was the first one to do this. And this, uh, you know, would have been 2000 or, you know, maybe early 2000s. And, oh, my wife and I went up to where she's from. And uh, upstate New York, right on the Quebec-Vermont border. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see the dog coming through. You know, this, this old farmer has us in. She grew up knowing this farmer. And, you know, we asked him where. And he says, oh, you know, everybody up there has that North Country accent, you know. And he says, oh, you go back in there and just cedars and you'll find so many rabbits you won't know what to do, you know. Yeah. So we go in. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I see Revel just looking for footprints. Hmm. And he would get a hair gone. And I mean, we just, they, they couldn't lose him. And okay. it's been the same way with his son, Duke, and now with uh, Diamond, which is a daughter out of that litter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we got, I got so many hair when I was up there that time with just one dog. Cause we were up there after Christmas to visit my in-laws i had one dog in a hotel mm-hmm. so i couldn't take the whole pack you know i boarded everything else and we went up mm-hmm. and uh i i remember on the third day i was there fourth day he says oh you're getting many today i said yeah i got my limit today I said i think it's five or six wow he says wow i said once you cross that railroad bed they're everywhere and he goes, uh, what railroad bed? I said, I don't know, it's in there maybe a mile. You walked that far on the snowshoes, did you? I said, <laughs> yeah. And he, lo- he looks at me and says, you were in Quebec. No big deal before September 11th. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but that dog would look at footprints and, uh, you know, I mean, it was just uncanny and that. Hmm. That Duke dog of mine would do the same thing on wet snow on Cape Cod. He did the same thing with his eyes on, or I'm sorry, wet sand, wet sand mm. on the beach. Really? Wow. And, 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 and them footprints are tiny. And, and I'm there with Jason who owns the bitch that, uh, you know, my stormy dogs out of, mm-hmm. and I can hear him yelling something down there on the beach, but it's tough to understand Jason anyway, cause he has a Boston accent. Mm-hmm. And I can only hear Duke running, and then up comes a rabbit, and I shoot it. And Jason comes up, and he says that dog was running on wet sands, using his eyes, look for the footprints, stick his nose in it, bark, pick his head up, look for the next footprints. <laughs> That's awesome! Wow. And uh, and then you know he said I'm going to breed to that dog, and. Uh, 
I said, oh, I said, he only has a couple of wins, and they were small classes. He's not a field champion or anything. He said, yeah, but he said he doesn't lose rabbits. So I love powder. I love powder to hunt snowshoe or cocktails mm. on because I got that advantage. And, um, you know, sometimes if it gets to be uh, a real bitter morning, uh, sometimes my dogs will struggle if there's no fresh powder. But typically when we do get a lot of snow, it becomes compacted ice. And then if I get that fresh powder half inch, yeah. I'm good. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm hoping that that happens here. We're actually supposed to get a, a warm day here next week. We're not, I mean, not real warm, you know, mid thirties, but I'm hoping it'll be enough to just compact it a little bit more so that it carries them a little bit better. Um, cause what, uh, what happens here is if I take, if I drop him down in the forest in the pine forests, he, that seems to carry him a little bit better and there's a little bit less snow. Um, but then as soon as he lifts a hair, it runs straight up the mountain and yeah. gets just way up there where, I mean, I don't know if you saw the pictures from yesterday, but I mean, that's I about as big as the trees are going to get up there where, you know, we're getting up towards the tree line and, um, you know, by mid January, then the wind will have been howling enough to kind of compact and make it, make it carry a little bit better. But at this point where it's just kind of lie, you know, fallen and just laid there, um, yeah, the dog's uh, just sinking, sinking down over his head, you know. Ex exactly, yeah. So um, he's he's doing great with it, but I'm a little bit concerned about, um, you know, he's still a youngster. He's only year year and a half, so I, I kind of don't want to don't want to let him just go completely insane, you know. Like, right. I think it's uh, with a with a dog with that much drive, especially a youngster, I think it's real easy to push them a little bit too hard, let them let them go farther than they should. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to be a little little careful with him, which is hard because he uh, it's just it's a little bit too much fun to hunt with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, of course, it's all different now. I mean, you know, when I was a kid hunting hare with my dad, I don't think I really knew how far a hare ran because I didn't have GPS. Mm -hmm. You know. You know, you just walked in the woods and, you know, to make sure you did well, you made sure you had a dog that wouldn't lose the rabbit. And, you know, the, you know, you know, they would short circle, you know, like a cottontail and you could hear it the whole time and, it, and then it'd go out big. Yeah. And then you just waited for it to come back. And, you know, I had no idea that those circles were over a thousand yards out or fifteen hundred mm. yards out when I was a kid. I had no idea. Until yeah. I own GPS. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's, ama it's amazing. They, they, they try to shake them off real quick and then it's like that one, one strike and you're done. Then if you don't get it, then it's going way out. Yeah. And I imagine probably those hair running, what, bigger circles even or comparable? I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, I haven't hunted the, the snowshoes in the state, so I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, you know, based on what you're describing, it's pretty comparable. Um, mm -hmm. They'll, you know, they'll do some intelligent stuff. They'll, once you get up onto the mountains, then they'll run roads and just put on a burst of speed and just try and dust the dog. But if you're hunting down on the valley bottoms like I am, they'll, they'll won't, I mean, they'll cross roads, but they won't touch them. Otherwise they'll run, 
they'll just point their nose upwards and run straight up the mountain. Um, and then the funny thing is that they'll, they'll get up somewhere high. And I mean, you can see them from, you know, with binoculars from way, way off, you know, and they'll sit there and they'll just kind of keep track of, is that dog getting any closer? And they'll, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not afraid of the dog in, in any way, which is really, really interesting. They'll stay out and ahead of it, but they won't, um, they won't, uh, oh, they're, they're not doing any more work than they absolutely have to. Right. Right. Which is pretty and, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I've, I've seen rabbits, cottontails get out far ahead and uh, stand there and lift their feet while the dogs are coming up behind them. And I don't know if that is supposed to make scent not as good or whatever, but you know, I often, you know, wonder if these things are thinking, you know, of, of all the things that are trying to eat me, why is this thing so dumb that it's making this much noise? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Get, you know, get looking some, back at the dogs. <laughs> get some feeling a little cocky. Yep. Yeah, and they're like, oh, this thing's letting me know exactly where it is. I ain't worried about that dog. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the other... Another thing I wonder a little bit about sometimes is, you know, I, there's definitely beagles over here, but there's not a ton of them. I think last mm -hmm. year there was 360 pups registered in the Norwegian Kennel Club. Okay. Um, for the entire country. And would those is, I mean, be from hunting bloodlines or would they be show dog bloodlines or would they be hunting ones? They tech ideally would be both. Okay. Is what the beagle ideal is here. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's definitely, it's not as common that you'll find the one or the other here anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like in the States, you could find the, you know, the hunting lines and the, and the show lines and, you know, you know, never shall the two meet. But um, here, you have to go through this whole process um, and a lot of breeders require it. And the one I got Mike from didn't thankfully, but he would really like me to do it now because Mike's turning out to be the beagle I've got is turning out to be pretty good. Um, you've got to go to a bench show and you have to get, yeah, what's called very good um, or good, I guess which is, you know, it's not that hard to do is if the dog has three legs and a tail, it's, it's, you're, you're pretty good. <laughs> you're but, certified. <laughs> right. But then you have to do that before you can then go and do any hunting trials. And the, the trials are not competing against other dogs, but they're competing with a total number of points that you then subtract from how the dog performs. Um, and the goal being to get something called like the hunting champion certificate or certification. Um, and a lot of people will do that. So a lot of the beagles that are being born are from parents that are hunting champions, but the weakness to that system is that because you're not competing with other dogs, you're not necessarily, you know, not all hunting champions are created equal. Right. So, you know, I've had, I've hunted over, you know, multiple hunting champions that I, was very glad I was not in them. I was not interested in buying. Right. 
because I would have had to have said no. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of them are hunting a lot. It's a lot of the one, a lot of the beagles that are bred are being bred by breeders more than hunters breeding their beagles. It's breeders breeding hunting dogs more than hunters breeding beagles. But there's a Um, relatively new title here that is popular in the show dog confirmation community and they can earn a master hunter title. uh, If if they can actually bark on a rabbit. I mean, we're not talking circling rabbits. We're not talking anything like that, but it's a, you know, I always say that within the show dog community, the more letters they can put before and after a dog's name for titles that they can accumulate, you know, the happier they get. And so, you know, there are people who want to bring back the ideal show dog, field dog combined. But yeah, you know, I guess the last one to earn dual actual titles, uh, you know, wasn't uh, that pretty of a dog in the ring and maybe not that great in the field. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But. That makes sense. <clears throat> you know, it's... I wish there were more beagles here because they're, I mean, they're great. They're, I'm, you know, preaching the choir here, but they're they're such great dogs. The The, I think what's kept them from being as popular has been the the Nordic breeds of hound are mostly bred for hair. So you've got like the Norwegian Dunker Hound and mm-hmm. the um, you know the the Hegan Hound, the Hamilton Hound, the Halden Hound. They're all bred for hair uh, for the very very most part. And you know they're a bigger dog, a little bit you know able to move a little bit faster in some of the deeper snow, you know, that, snow, that kind yeah. of stuff. Right. Yeah. So the, the beagles haven't eclipsed them, um, in popularity for, by, for hunters, which is a little bit too bad because the beagles, they bring a sort of cheery hardiness to the game that it's can be hard to find in the other, um, some of the other breeds over here. And it's one of the reasons I I chose Beagles. If I go to more northern places here, up towards Canada, you know, I I guess, at least in AKC world, the standard says a Beagle can be no taller than 15 inches at the shoulder. Mm. I get up there, I see Beagles that are easily 16, 17. I've seen 18-inch hounds up there. And I know people that want to say, oh, they can't do that, the breed standard this, the breed standard that. And I'm like, but we ain't running on three foot of snow down here in Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. I mean, it's true. And and I've seen that here too, that the, the beagles are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like this, this Mike dog, one of the reasons I went for him is because his, his, both his mom, his grandmother, I knew, I knew all of his relatives. They were a client from at the hospital that I, or the veterinary hospital that I work at. Um, guys, an active hunter, you know, out all the time. And I knew that I was going to get something that I could work with from this guy. But one of the things was that it was actually a beagle. Uh-huh. It was, you know, he's 13 inches at the shoulder 
you know, he's little guy and, right. you know, looks like a beagle. And then some of these other, you know, some of these beagles that we're getting into work are, you know, and no, I'm not talking about like the engorged tick obese beagles. I'm talking about lean, mean beagles that are, you know, pushing 40, 50 pounds. Right. And are so tall. And I mean, at that point, I feel like you're kind of getting back into that traditional Harrier. Yeah. You know, yeah. where, you know, there was, there, there was a breed for that. If you wanted a bigger Beagle, you got a Harrier. You got a Harrier. Yeah. Back in, you know, back in, back in the day. Um, <clears throat> but they're not, they're not looking at it as, as individual breeds. You know, they're mm -hmm. the, you know, Mike, who is half the size of some of the other dogs, you know, there's a dog named Bill at work that is, you know, easily, easily 40 pounds. Yeah. Um, and like you said, 17, probably 18 at the shoulder, big, thick joints, huge feet, you know, great big head. If you took his head and put it onto a walker, it wouldn't look out of place, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, great, great looking dog to, for whatever he is, but in my head, it's not really a beagle. And I, I think that's a little bit scary when you start to get into, you know, not just the show beagle versus the hunting beagle, but where you get into where both things can be bred as beagles. You kind of get into this territory where you have no idea what you're going to get. Which is a little, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. It's uh, <laughs> how I feel about the whole thing. But yeah, and let's, I want to talk to you about uh, your, the uh, Bramble Rambles. Because you, you know, the your past books have been, the Beagle Tales books have been about beagles with comments on, oh, There've been the, there's been this thread of faith throughout all of the books, and it sounds like this is a faith book with a thread of beagles. Yeah, yeah. The only role the beagles had was they were uh, barking and chasing while I was thinking about what I was writing. Mm -hmm. So that's why I called them, you know, bramble <laughs> rambles. They're 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 rambles in the sense that they're not you know you know out and out academic. Uh, or even purely homiletic type of writing, <clears throat> they kind of they kind of ramble, uh, and they're brambles because I'm in the brambles with the dogs while I'm thinking about these things. Right. And uh, so yeah, the first one is all over the place. You know, you know, it questions suffering and uh, you know. God's creation and, mm -hmm. you know, the word of God and what that means and some things like that. And this one of Christmas stories is, uh, it kind of focuses on Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. Mm -hmm. They're all things that I threw up on Facebook at some point because I think it's such a negative place that I'll go on there once a day, try to write something positive and get off of it. Yeah, um, I I always like reading your your stuff. My my reaction to Facebook has been to post dad jokes and beagle pictures. Yeah, they're and, pretty good. You know, I like these. <laughs> that's good. But I love uh, you know I always check in on your pages because it's just like you know it's 
it's something positive in an otherwise fairly, yeah. Yeah. Facebook you know, can be a little it, bit of a cesspool. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't need to, you know, get bogged down in this, some thread of people, you know, being quite angry at each other over 308 versus 30-06 and 20 gauge right. versus 28 gauge and getting all upset and bitter. It's like, I don't need this in my life. But, right. So, yeah. Right. So, you know, these things all appeared as uh, posts that, you know, I think a lot of people, and I had to ask what it meant. Somebody once commented, TLTR, too long to read. And I thought, good, that gets the lazy thinkers from reading it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like you were not my target audience, and thank you for exposing yeah. yourself. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want you to read it anyway. And, right, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, and then I tell little sort of anecdotes and some of those, you know, I, you know, was talking about waiting and, you know, one of the essays in this most recent book. And I, you know, talked about how when I was a kid, if you were going to get a snow day, now they send a text message to your parents it's across the TV set scrolling and, you know, mm. they might call your house. When I was a kid, you had to get up, see it snowing, just hammering and turn on FM radio and sit there just hoping they would call your school, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, you know, talk about that hope of a snow day as a kid and sort of went to the hope of Advent for the first people to see Christ and that sort sure. of a thing. So it, it just, you know, that, you know, that kind of a mix of stories, you know? Sure. Sure. And I mean, most people listening to this now know, know who you are and know what you do. Um, but you spent, I mean, you've been very honest about that. You know, a lot of your sermons have been written while listening to Beagles. <clears throat> yeah, I, I do. I do the, you know, more academic stuff at home, mm -hmm. you know, so I try to translate the passage at home, you know, if, if it's New Testament from the Greek, Old Testament from the Hebrew, I haven't kept up with those languages like I should since seminary, but, you know, if I get some lexicons and some aids and some, you know, cheats, I can do that. And then I'll read some commentaries from the big brains and mm -hmm. that's my process. And then, you know, let's say I do that by Monday, Tuesday, put a, some hours in it, and I get points A, B, C that I want to talk about this passage. Then I go out, and when I'm running dogs, I think of stories or illustrations that reinforce point A and point sure. B and point C. And I just kind of you know, let my mind think of things or stories or something that would kind of go along with those points. I'll just zone out thinking while the dogs are chasing and I do it all year. And sometimes in hunting season, the rabbit gets by me because I'm thinking and I just, oh, I, 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 I forgot I was hunting. <laughs> sure. All right. Yeah. I mean, but hair, you know, hunting, hunting rabbits and hunting with dogs in general takes an enormous amount of patience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're going to be, a lot's going to happen very quickly, but spaced out, you know, over probably some hours of just kind of 
not boredom exactly, but at least, you know, definitely time to just think. Yes. And are you, do you have like a notebook out with you? Are you writing this down as you're kind of coming out, coming up with it and, and, you know, writing footnotes kind of as you go? Yep. I have a little notebook that I carry and, uh, sometimes I'll take a little Bible with me too. And they're in Ziploc bags and a pocket or in my game vest in case Mm -hmm. it would rain or, you know, you know, get a wet snow. And, uh, in the non-hunting season, um, I have a lumbar pack, small backpack, and I put a, I put a dove stool on there. The teeny tiny folding dove stool that's, it's like the size of an umbrella by the time you collapse it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll take that and sit on that and, uh, instead of trying to see the dogs and see the rabbit, if they're locked on, and I don't want to turn the rabbit and make it go in the hole. I'll just sit there on that dove stool and think, and then just listen, just just listen to the hounds go round and round while I'm thinking. You know? mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, I'm still trying to kind of yeah figure figure out how to spend my time while I'm waiting. Um, I tend to get a little bit too jittery and I move around too much. So I end up losing a lot of opportunities for, for harvesting. You know, that's not the reason I'm out there, but at the same time, you know, um, having something to show for it occasionally, I I appreciate that, especially when it's something that I can then turn around and make into good food for my family. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm kind of a kind of a fidgety guy out there, so I, I end up moving around and trying to get in front of them and stuff like that, rather than having the patience for them to come around. It's something that I've really been working on um, this year because I can see that it's made my hounds a little bit clingy mm. in in the sense that they're not a hundred percent sure um, if they if they start following their tracks back they're not necessarily going to find me where they last saw me. And I can see that that makes a couple of them a little bit nervous sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, uh, trying to relax a little bit and trying to calm down. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, it, it interests me to hear what people do while they're, while they're waiting. You know, some people just are on their phones and, that's, I don't really want to do that either. I, f- I feel like too much of my focus the last 10 years has been on, you know, d- directed to things that somehow affect my life, maybe, you oh. know, social media. But at the same time, I'd much rather be focused in on what's directly here in my house, in my, you know, my, my family and their physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual well-being, you know, rather than, as you say, reading the 80th (laughs) argument over ammunition or whether, you know, tall beagles or short beagles are the real quote unquote beagles, you know. Right, right. There are certain bloodlines or, you know. Oh, sure. And, you know, I know guys that never go rabbit hunting alone because I think it is too boring for them. Mm. And so they prefer going in a group and then you get more shooters. You got more dogs to keep them going. You split up. 
then each chase ends a little faster because you've got more potential of seeing the rabbit with more guys. Mm. And, you know, and they certainly, I know people who way prefer to condition dogs in the off season with somebody else so that you can sit and talk to each other while the dogs are running because Mm -hmm. standing there for three hours by themselves just seems like torture, you know, Mm. you know? So, yeah, I always, I always say, you know, you kind of got to be comfortable in your own mind, you know, to, sure, you know, be able to, and it's the same thing with deer hunting. I know people that can't sit on a deer stand. I mean, they just get bored. It's like, I, I got to move, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, it's, that's the truth. So it seems like a just fantastic use of your, of your time, just where you realistically shouldn't be probably shouldn't be doing anything else. You know, if you're on your phone or taking a nap, either way, you're not really, you're not really there, but you can, you can process and, and formulate, uh, without, you know, without checking out, you know, without you're still present. And I've always, you know, you know, sermons aside, and Bible studies, uh, which I'll work on those while I'm out in the field too. Um, I don't think I've ever made a big decision in my life without listening to beagles. Mm. And that, you know, just too like, uh, you know, I, I, I come from solid, absolute solid flower Christians. And what I mean by that is we went on Easter and saw all those lilies, and we went on Christmas Eve and saw all those poinsettias, and well, hell, I might have thought there was that many flowers every Sunday, but no. (laughs) (laughs) They're just there. And so I remember when I was debating whether I really, I really want to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's going to seem so weird for my family, because my relatives don't go at all, or barely go. Mm. And I thought, "I, I don't know if that so I had to think long and hard about that. And I did that while listening to music, you know, the dogs singing mm-hmm. to me. And uh, I, I did, I did the same thing when I decided to get married and propose to my wife. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I, you know, uh, and even less important things like I had this Dodge Dakota that I couldn't stand in the snow, no matter what tires I had on it. And I thought, should I spend the money for something better? I'm like, ah, I'd better go run dogs and think about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get something better? I Your have setup a right now is pretty, pretty nice. I have a 2010 Tacoma that I've had since I've had it for 10 years now. Yep. I bought it in uh, 2013 used or maybe it was 2000. Maybe it was 2011 or 12. It only had 30,000 miles on it when I bought oh, it. Wow. I'm at, at 280,000 miles now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's the ultimate beagling setup you've got there. That's that. I'm. I won't say I'm jealous, but it's uh, yeah. I. Hey, the I can, appre- I can appreciate what you got there. You. And you could get the rooftop tent easier than I could. It's made in Italy. 
for the Alps. Is that right? Oh, really? I didn't realize it's that. It's made in cool. Italy for, as a four-season tent in the Alps is what it's made for, that rooftop tent. Really? Uh, the company cool. is Maggiolina. Two Gs. Maggiolina. I'm going to have to actually yep. write that down here so I don't forget it. Because that is, uh, yeah, that's a sweet setup. Maggie. And it is a four-season tent, but you better have a good sleeping bag in the winter. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Because it's not insulated, but you get a good zero sleeping bag. You know, I've I've been to, uh, you know, dog competitions where you wake up and it's 20 degrees or 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 so in the morning if you get there the night before you get a good sleeping bag it's comfortable especially if you throw a beagle up there with you <laughs> sure <laughs> i can see i can see diamond being a fairly good uh sleeping bag warmer yeah yeah mm -hmm. i yeah she's always good about sticking her muzzle under my chin so i keep my face out of the sleeping bag to breathe yeah and then uh uh, I got her on top of my neck to keep my face warm. <laughs> cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what, um, what's next for you? Do you have any other, you just had the second, uh, Bramble Rambles you said, or, or the, uh, geared a little bit towards Advent and things like, and, yep. uh, come out. What's, um, what else are you working on these days? Or is it a spoiler alert sort of deal? Yeah, I mean, I have enough uh, things that I've posted on social media to get a Bramble Rambles Easter. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I'll get that assembled in time. You know, it's not too far away. So I pro probably won't get it out this year. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I've had in the queue with my publisher for a while now a ninth installment of Beagle Tales. Um, so that might be coming out. Mm -hmm. You just never know when they're going to say you're up, you know, and it's ready to proof. Um, and other than that, uh, I'll just keep, keep on running dogs. And, you know, I was just, uh, you know, getting, getting ready. I looked at the calendar this year and, and there's the Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, mm. which means you got to have morning and evening services. So I'm like, yeah, that's going to be, you know, six services this year or something like that. You wow. Know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how long in advance do you write those? What's that? Um, the services. Do you, the sermon? Do you, yeah. I, I start Sunday night. Okay. For, for the following the week. next Sunday. Mm. For okay. the next gotcha. Sunday. And I put probably a couple hours a day at least into them. Um, mm -hmm. And then I get done Sunday, take my Sunday afternoon nap, the only nap I take all week. And then when I wake up, Supper time on Sunday, I pick the scripture for the next sermon on the following Sunday, and I send that text to our church parish secretary to put in the bulletin. And Sunday night, usually before I go to bed, I look over the scripture and, you know, maybe get the Greek out and look at that a little bit before I go to bed. And mm -hmm. 
then get serious about it on Monday morning. So it's I try to be done Friday night, so I don't so I kind of get a full day off Saturday from thinking, but I'm never happy with the sermon. I go to bed Saturday night not happy and uh I'll you know, not sleep well and then you know, even if it turns out to be okay, I just never am happy with it, you know. Right. Right. Well, it's um And since COVID, all these sermons are online, so the whole world can see them. And it's like, oh, right. now I'm really self-conscious, you know? Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that it's better better that than the alternative, you know, being um, in, being so sure in yourself that I think always striving for that perfection probably is reflected in the quality of your sermons, I should think. Well, you can watch one and let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand to watch them because, and I'll try to listen to this podcast, and I know this isn't unique to me, but when I hear my voice, it's not what I think my voice sounds like, and that's true for everybody I know. Isn't that the darndest <laughs> thing? Isn't that yeah. the darndest thing? I I feel the same way in my head. I've got this deep voice, and then I'll listen to it on, you know, on, online. And I'm like, man, I've got this like New England whine to my voice that I really don't like. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's true for everybody though. That nobody likes yeah. the sound of their own voice, or I guess some people do, but uh, they're not usually people I really like to talk to. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk, talk with us. I'm psyched that you've still got, um, that you're still, yeah, still getting out with the Beagles and still, um, you know, still making, still writing, you know, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed your books. Um, it was definitely one of the things that influenced me. You know, I grew up with a Beagle, but it definitely influenced me when I was trying to decide where do I go from from here after a really brutal year um, that kind of left me reeling a little bit and kind of trying to figure out where, where do I go from here? And one of the things that I had taken sort of comfort and solace in at, throughout a rough year was, you know, I, I read, it's a comfort thing for me. And I read, you know, I was reading your books and made me kind of want to get, uh, you know, keep that kind of good vibe that that was giving me going with a beagle of my own when I suddenly found myself without a functioning dog on top of everything else. Um, mm. so I'm, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all the writing you've done and that you're still doing it. It's, uh, I'm glad it worked out. I've also had people say they brought a beagle in the house because of me and it was the worst decision they ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. Well, you're not exactly sugarcoating it either in your writing. You know, it's not like no. this, fan this fantasy, you know, Disney version of what it's like to have a beagle. You know, there's, no. No. there's, uh, there's references to begging and, you know, food mysteriously disappearing and garbage yowling. being knocked over. Garbage being knocked over, yowling in the mornings, ruined family vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So I think yeah, the people yeah. who got a beagle 
and didn't know what they were the getting into based chairman, on your books, didn't read them very carefully. Didn't, didn't read them very well. Yeah, you know, a chair leg that, you know, was responsible for a puppy getting their permanent teeth. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Mr. Ford. Yeah. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And, Good to uh, talk to you. This way, I don't have to pay for long distance to chat. That's right. Yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> if anything exciting happens, or whenever you feel like it, let me know because I always love having you on. All right, man. Good talking to you. Likewise. We'll talk to you later. We'll see. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Man, I love that sound.